0: John chapter 4. Thank you for inviting me, I think, James. <laughs> um, James chapter 4. And uh, if there's one thing, as I've studied the life of these ladies and women that I've looked at, it's really rebuked me. I, I sometimes tend to look at the outward appearance of people. And uh, God just really... Uh, dealt with me about, about how I see people, how I see the world, how I see lost people. And, uh, you know, God don't call many wise men. He don't call many mighty, many noble. You know, he delights in using the foolish things, the weak things, the base things, and things which are despised. God takes delight in using things like that. As a matter of fact, he takes pleasure in using individuals. He only, not only uses nations, like the nation of Israel, but I believe he likes to use individuals in a great way and he gets great glory out of that. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, he warned one man and he moved with fear to the saving of his house, saved his whole house. That one man actually saved the whole world because of that one man. You think about the one who God called To go out into nowhere where he didn't know where he was going and he made him the father of many nations. You think about that one baby that was taken out of a muddy river, how God used him to free and lead uh, many people. I mean, God uses one is what my point is. He saved one harlot and she became the grandmother, the great grandmother of the sweet psalmist of Israel, the king of Israel. There was one long haired man he used with a jawbone, one jawbone and became a Holy Ghost buzzsaw and took out a thousand Philistines. I mean, God has a way of doing that. One ruddy boy, you think about it in the Old Testament, one little ruddy shepherd boy, one sling, one sling James and took out the enemy. He, he got ahead, amen. He, God knows how to use the individuals. In the New Testament, or you could think about the Gospels, how God put the emphasis on one. There came, he came to one maniac, made him a publisher of Decapolis, and he began to publish all around those ten cities. He, he used one sheep, or he told about one uh, parable one parable in three parts about the lost sheep. There was one lost sheep, one lost silver, one lost son. And he made this statement. He says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, yep. over one sinner that yep. repenteth. Sometimes I think we look, we, t- we don't see things like we should. We need to look at, see things how God sees them. We need to look at people how God sees them. And then he used one, here's one in Acts. He used one Holy Ghost filled street preaching deacon. Just one. And he used him to touch the heart and prick the heart of a man named Saul. And you think about how God used that one man. Well here we're gonna see a lady that God used today. Just one. I want you to think about the value of one soul. Just one. Look with me in John 4, begin reading in verse 35. John 4, verse 35. And the Bible says, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth Fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true one soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into the, their labors. And many, notice this, and many Samaritans, and many Samaritans. You see that? many Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, not just because of what you told us, Not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, we thank you for your blessings now. We ask you to please help us. Lord, as we try our best to deliver the message you've given to us in Jesus name. Amen. I believe with all my heart that the Lord moved through this world when he was on earth. He moved through this world with compassion. I believe it was compassion that filled his cells and moved him through this world, and he touched so many lives. I believe he felt the compassion as he moved. Compassion is feeling someone else's pain or feeling someone else's heart in your heart. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ moved through this world. As a matter of fact, it says in Mark: 141, Jesus moved with compassion. Mark 6:34, it says, "He moved with compassion toward them." And it says in Mark 9:36 that He moved with compassion on them. I want to just establish this truth for just a moment. I know the Lord loved me. I know He loves the world, and I, I know that He loved the Samaritans. See, the Jews, really, if if it was up to the Jews, they despised, they literally despised the Samaritans. And they didn't want to have any dealings with the Samaritans. And I believe if they could have wrote John 3, 16, they would have said, God so loved the Jew and no one else. And that's the way we all tend to do. If we're not careful, we'll have that attitude that he just loves a select few. Did you know God loves the world? He loves the entire world and he said, notice this, he said he must needs, in verse number four, he must needs go through Samaria. I believe the Lord loves Samaria. I really do. I believe he cared about the Samaritans and I can give you some things. Turn to Acts chapter one, verse, uh, chapter one, and then we'll go to chapter eight. I want to show you just a couple things here. Many of you may know this, but I want to establish this truth that he loves the Samaritans I really believe he cared, uh, not just about this one lady, he cared about her, he loved this one lady, but not only did he care about her, he was going to use her in a special way, and I believe he wants to take, he wants to take me, I, I really believe he wants to take you. If he saves you, he does that for a reason. There's people in your world that only you can reach. I can't reach them, I can't touch their heart, I can't touch their life, but there's people in your individual world, every man, every woman, every single child in here, God can use you to touch people in your world. And I see that here. The Bible tells us that he must needs go through Samaria. In Acts chapter 1, let me just uh, tell you, this is the great commission, if you will. This is what the Lord had already told the disciples, you go after he died, was buried and rose again. he He gave a commission to them. He says, you go into all the world. And then he, you know, of course, he said, you go back and you go be endued with power. So the disciples went back and the prayers went up. The power came down. The preaching went forth. And people got saved and got in. You know they got saved. But the problem was they just wanted to hang around Jerusalem. Because Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and where? And in Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, you know the story. People started getting saved in the book of Acts. God started adding to the church. He began to multiply in the church. And God started to do a wonderful thing, but they were wanting to hang around Jerusalem. Look at, that was Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto the death. Now here, of course, it cost them. Persecution came in. Prayers went up, power came down, preaching went forth, people got in, but persecution began to rise. And Why did that happen? I believe we can see why it happened. In Acts chapter 8 verse 1 it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. At that time there was great persecution against the church, uh, which was at Jerusalem. And uh, they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria. You see that? Except the apostles And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And Saul, notice this, made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, because of this, you see that? Because of this, it says, therefore, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere, preaching the word Then, after the persecution, then after the trouble, then Philip went down to the city of what? Samaria. What am I saying to you? Sometimes the Lord, God loved those people so much that he knew that he was going to have to pull the fur out of the nest. He was going to have to make them uncomfortable. Sometimes God may have to prick us and stick us and cause some trouble before we'll ever move like we should. And that's what he did here. I believe somewhere in this time when Stephen was stoned, I believe that's when God began to, you can see Romans 11 in that area. Somewhere in here, God began to turn because uh, the Jews had rejected God the Father in the Old Testament. God, they rejected God the Son in the Gospels. He came into his own, his own received him not. At the stoning of Stephen, they rejected God the Holy Spirit. He said, "Ye have resisted the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. And at somewhere in this time when Stephen was stoned, there was Paul here, and they had to create, and God creates some persecution, and the next thing you know, they're spreading everywhere. And the next thing you know, God's calling a man named Paul. I'm saying God loves the Samaritans. He cared for the Samaritans. And I see the will of the Savior here. I see a willingness to come. He was willing to go to a place called Sychar of Samaria. This place called Sychar was called that. It was named that. because It means lying drunkards. Drunkards, liars. I mean, he came to a place that was despised by the Jews. He came to a place that was not pleasant to go to. But he went to this place and he came to a messed up house, a messed up woman rather, messed up life who was shunned by religion. And you see him here, but why did he come to this place? He's not willing. The Bible says that he's not willing that any perish. I'm glad he's a God like that. He cares for you. He cares for the individual. He cares for that person who's despised and rejected of religion, of whatever, and living a life maybe with drunkards. But here's the thing that got me. I want you to see this, this precious woman. He came, I'm glad he came to me. I'm glad he came to this earth, amen. He said, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but thine, but the will of the, he that sent me. He said, the son is come to seek and save that which is lost. The Bible says Christ came into the world to save sinners, but who did he come to? I want you to see just for a second this little woman here, the woman of Samaria. Look at this with me, if you will. Look back at your text again. I want you to just see a few verses here in chapter four. I guess this is what really hit me right between the eyes. It says in verse number seven, notice it says, then cometh a woman, you see that, of Samaria. Verse nine, it says, then saith the woman of Samaria. Look at verse 11, the woman saith unto him. Look at verse number 15, the woman saith unto him. Verse 17, the woman answered. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him. Verse number 25, the woman, notice this, the woman And then in verse 27, with the woman. Verse 28, the woman left her water pot. What am I saying? I'm saying the emphasis isn't on the Samaritan. The person that was despised or the place that was despised. The emphasis is on the woman. On the person. On the individual. I don't see anywhere in my Bible, I call her that all the time. A lot of people call her the Samaritan woman. What if she was living in, Sodoma, in Sodomy? In Sodom. Would they call her the Sodomite woman? You understand what I'm saying? The emphasis is not on where she came from. Yeah, that's good. It's not where, who she was raised by. Yeah. I really don't believe this woman had one bit of choice in where she would be born. Yeah. I don't think, really, she had any choice or she didn't have any way to to fix it to where, who, who would what home she'd be born into. Right. Yeah. She could have been born in a drunkard's home. She could have been born maybe without a daddy or dad- without a father in the home. She could have had bad relationships, marrying maybe a drunkard and then another drunkard. And she had five bad relationships. And she got, I don't know if some of them died from alcoholism. I don't know if they died or if she just left them. Listen, the thing is, I judged her in my heart. And honestly, I don't know what was going on in her mind. I don't know what was going on in her heart. I don't know what was going on, but I know the Lord did. Right. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad he sees the heart. I know he saw. Others looked at her with disdain, but the Lord seeth not as man seeth. He looketh upon the heart, the Bible says. I'm glad he knows what is in man in John chapter 2. He knew what was going on inside of her heart. And, but I see the emphasis is on the woman. I see the emptiness of the woman. I believe her life was just as empty as that water pot she was carrying. I really do. I don't believe. I believe she had a craving and a longing and she needed something to satisfy her soul. She had an empty life. She had empty relationships, empty dreams. And I believe that she was carrying that same empty pot every single day. Every day she had to go get something and she carried that empty pot with her every single day. Did you know God wants to fill our life? He came honestly to save us that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. The Bible tells, he said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10, 10. He said in John 11, uh, 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that you might have joy in you and that your joy may be full. He wants us to live a full life. Amen. I believe that's, I'm honestly, we're all running on empty a lot of times, but he wants us to live a full life. The Bible speaks of being filled with the knowledge of his will, being filled with fruits of righteousness, being filled with the spirit of God, being filled with comfort. And I'm afraid, honestly, most people have a great big void, a great big empty spot that only God can fill. I want you to see the weariness of Sychar, this place called Sychar. Sychar. I see. Look at this in verse number six. Notice this, verse number six. Jesus, therefore, being wearied in his journey, it was the sixth hour, the sixth verse, and he was about to deal with a woman that had had six bad relationships. Verse six. And then she is the sixth hour. I think that's. You can see the number of man there. And the Bible says that Jesus was wearied. Listen, Jesus was 100% God, and 100% man. He was, he was 100% deity, and yet, at the same time, 100% humanity. Jesus came in this world, the Bible says, without controversy, without, I'm not gonna even debate it with you, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh, flesh, he, I'm glad he came to this world, but he put on flesh. The Bible says in John 1.14 that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 2, 9 says, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. Amen. The Bible says he, we, in Hebrews ten five there was a body that thou hast prepared me. I'm glad that he came and Jesus put on a body, a body, a flesh and fingernails and hairs. He was actually a holy God, but he was manifested in flesh. And this flesh gets weary. The body gets tired. And Jesus actually got so tired that he had to sit down on the well. 100% God and 100% man. But I don't think he was the only one weary in this picture. I believe there was a weary lady here too. You think about how tired of her life she may have been. I mean, she, you see that it was because of the day, it was the sixth hour. I'm sure it was hot. That's about high noon. She's probably weary of the heat and, and the hard work that she had to do. And that she was weary of the dirt, constant thing of removing dirt and dust from her life. And it was a constant thing of working with that. I believe she was weary withdrawing. The well is deep, it says in verse number 11. Did you know one gallon of water weighs 8 pounds and 8.34 pounds? I mean, I, you can imagine just going to that well and, and dropping that, that pot or whatever she had down in that well. I think that well, Jacob's well, they say is about 100 foot, 150 foot deep. It's still there today. Water's still flowing in Jacob's well. And she had to lower that bucket down all the way, 100, foot, 100 feet, 150 feet, get that water, pull it up all the way up. And then she'd have to put it, maybe carry it on her head, but she'd have to walk into town. And she did that every single day. I'm sure she probably got weary. Yeah. Living the same life over and over every single day, just getting in that routine. And you know, there's people like that, just like that today, still going to the same watering hole every weekend and, and drawing and, and drawing that water or that, that wicked water or living a wicked lifestyle. And they leave unsatisfied, can't satisfy them, have to keep going back week after week, week after week. You know, they just get in a rut. Amen. I've, I've gone through Virginia or Tennessee and gone through those mountains. You'll see the cattle graze. My heart rate just slows right down when I go in those mountains and I, I see those cattle grazing in slow motion. I see them on those hillsides. and A lot of times I'll notice that and I'll see a path, one path, walking up through those, going up through those mountains. And those cows will walk that one path from the stall to the pasture. And then they'll walk back up that path all the way to the stall, back and forth every day. That's kind of what we do, do the same thing. A lot of times if a lost man, I mean, they just got the same routine going back and forth, back and forth every day. And they, they make they, you're, their life get in a rut. In a rut. And a rut is nothing but a grave with both ends knocked out. And that's what these people, that's what this woman was doing. I believe her life was in a rut. She was dry. We get weary. Did you know Jesus got weary? I know Paul said, be not weary in well-doing. But did you know he got weary? He did. He said it, but he got weary in his perils. He said in weariness. I know we all get weary. But the thing is, we can't get weary of the work. We might get weary in the work. But we can't get weary of the work we did. God's got a great work for us to do. And I believe that we get weary, but we got to watch out for that weariness. Amen. She got weary. I believe he got weary. Now here's what I want you to see. Look at this well. Notice the well that saves. We see a description of this well here. I I believe this wasn't just any well. I believe it was a a great well. It was a precious well. It was dry. You think about how dry that land was. Did you know that water in that day was precious? It was, it was more valuable than gold. You can't live without water. I think, I think it's like three days. They say you, can't, you can go like three days without water, and then you start to break down. You get fatigued, and the next thing you know, your organs will start to shut down if you don't have some kind of water. So, I mean, it was something they had to have. They couldn't go and just press a button or turn a knob or pump a pump. No, they had to, they, it was precious to them. So I see it was a precious well. It was providing well, provided life for Jacob and all of his family. It was Jacob's well. And so it was very precious. It was a particular well. No well like this well. It was a special well. Amen. It was a plenteous well. Had plenty to go around once they got it. But Nate, think about this the digging of the well. How did that thing come into being? What a picture of what the Lord did for us. That well. Think about what it took to dig that. Somebody had to see the need. Jacob saw the need. He said, I've got to have some water or my family's going to die. They're not going to make it. He saw the need. Next thing you know, he paid the price. Somebody had to dig the well. A hundred and fifty foot well. hundred and fifty foot well. And as they began to dig and pay that price, I'm sure there was a lot of pain involved. Probably blisters, busted knuckles, I mean sore shoulders. I'm sure there was a lot of pain involved with digging that well. Somebody had to go down into that deep, dark pit. And they had to stay until it was finished. And then once it was finished and they came up with that water, somebody had to come up out of the pit. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Aren't you glad that he cared enough for you and for me that he came to this world in the fullness of time? God sent his darling son into this world. I'm glad he came and he put on flesh, hair, and fingernails so that you and I, and he suffered for all mankind as the precious, holy lamb of God, without any sin, without any blemish, he came to this world, holy, harmless, undefiled, died as the sacrificial lamb of God, went to the cross, died on the cross, went down into the heart of the earth, Thank God he came up again. And now we can have springs of living water as a result of that. Amen. Then I see, notice this. I see the description of the well. I see the digging of the well. But then I see the drawing of the well. Notice this. She came to draw water. But actually the water drew her. Right? Isn't that what happened? I mean, something kept bringing her there. And she came to draw water, but I'm glad the water began to draw her. This water wasn't just any water. It was special water. It was living water. It was springing water. Amen. Springing up from within. Amen. It was satisfying water. She said she'd never thirst again. It was sufficient water. Amen. Whosoever drinketh, I'm glad the whosoever was there too. And it was sanitizing water. I'm glad uh, we can be clean through the water of the word. Amen. Amen. This water she was drawing was special water. Then I want you to see the dealing about the water. And in verse 9, notice what she said. The Jews, she said the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus began dealing with this woman. The Jews didn't have any dealings. But I'm glad he started dealing with her. Does anybody else remember when he began to deal with you? I remember well, amen, as a little young man, I remember when he first started dealing with me. And I got uncomfortable when he started dealing with me, just like this woman did. He began to deal with my heart. As a young man, I was at church as just a little boy, and that's the first time I can remember him dealing with me, sitting in a pew with my parents, and I was watching as somebody came at, the invitation came up, and they they were at the front bowing. My cousin was sitting with me, and they took her and took that person in another room, and they took another person in a side room and I said, what are they doing? They said, she said, they're getting saved. And that's the first time I believe God really started dealing with me about that. At night I'd start looking up at the ceiling and thinking about, man, what's this thing mean about being saved? I remember another time when I was a teenage boy and I was sitting in the back seat of a car and, and uh, uh, my cousin was getting married and the preacher was in the front seat and he was talking to him and witnessing to him about his soul before he married him. And the whole time he's witnessing to him, I'm in the back seat and I'm listening to him and in my soul I'm saying, that's what I need. That's what I need. That's what I need. Well, I'm glad he deals with us. I'm so glad he dealt with me. And I, I'd get troubled in my soul. And then I had a friend a, little, a few years later asked me to come, he wanted me to come meet a girl at his church and he wanted, they wanted a double date and she couldn't go out unless I and had somebody else to go with her. And so he invited me and I, I went and when my eyes saw her, boom, I'm telling you, sparks flew and I came to see her but all of a sudden that leather lung preacher got up he had arthritis he barely made it to the pulpit but when he got in that pulpit there was a force and a power from another world and I heard something like I'd never heard before he began to preach Jesus and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost of God became way back in the back way back and I'm telling you I started he was speaking to me back there in the back through the preaching of the word of God and I fell under conviction as he began to deal with me and I can remember gripping the pew and those friends that peer pressure got me to hold on and I wouldn't do anything about it and then the next thing you know I had to come back and see her again of course I had to I kept coming back, drawing. He was drawing me. He was dealing with me. He kept pulling at me and tugging at me. There was something I had to have. And every time I was sitting in that church and the Holy Ghost of God began to move in my heart, I'm telling you, He was dealing with my soul until I couldn't take it anymore. And all of a sudden, I had to take a drink. Amen. I had to have a drink of that fountain. Well, I'm glad He saved me. Amen, aren't you glad he dealt with you? Yes. Some of you are thinking right now how he began to work in your world. I'm glad he did that in this woman's life. Amen, I remember well, and he dealt with her about her sin, that's what he dealt with. You know, she tried to dodge it, she put up all these barriers, religious barriers, race barriers, she started putting up, that's the way a man is when you're witnessing to him, they'll put up all these barriers and everything, And but the Lord knew her. He said, go call your husband. She said, "I have no husband. Come on. I don't have any husband." He said, "You're right. Amen. You've had five husbands. Ooh. You've had five. Aren't you glad he loves people that's messed up their life? Yeah. Yeah, sir. Aren't you glad? Yes, sir. Had five husbands and the man you're living with, he's mm-hmm. not your own. Yeah. We well, said you've had six, but what you need is number seven. <laughs> amen. Yeah. That'll make your life complete. Amen. Yeah, amen. I just needed number seven and that will take care of it. All right. That's all I needed." Amen. I just needed Jesus. That's all, that's all she needed. She just needed Jesus. Amen. But she, he dealt with her about her sin. He dealt with her about her sincerity. He said, you must worship with spirit and truth. Truth. You know what we have to do is the same thing the prodigal did. We got to come to ourselves. The Bible says the prodigal came to he came to. You know what we need is the Holy Ghost smelling soul. Something's got to cut the light on. sir. He came to himself. He looked in the mirror. Yeah. He realized where the problem was. The prodigal did. A man's got to come to himself. I can still remember going to this man. This I. This lady got saved, uh, 72 years old, Miss Sue Wisniewski. I can still remember her getting saved. and I, In her house, I can remember she bowed there in her house and when we were praying and she was calling out on, on, uh, for salvation, in her house the chimes started ringing on that clock. I can still remember the bells of heaven were ringing. And, but then the so first thing she wanted to do, she had a son that was a crackhead, about 50 something years old, lost everything he had. She said, preacher, will you go see my son? And I went to see old Jim Roach in a crack trailer park and I walked in and soon I knocked on the door and soon as he saw me he said oh it's you he said come on in and I went in and I began to witness to him and next thing you know that man he came to church He before I could finish honestly before I could finish preaching he came running down the aisle and bowed in tears and asked God to have mercy on him. But the, he went back to the same crack trailer park. He got mixed up with the same crowd again. The next thing you know I'm hearing that he's in jail and I go to the jail and I'm looking through the glass and I'm on that phone and he started giving me all these excuses that he had for, for what had happened. And I said, Jim, I said, I looked through that glass and I said, there'll never be any hope for you until you're first honest with yourself yeah, and with the Lord. And I hung up the phone and walked out. Ah, he said the whole time he was in jail, in prison, he couldn't get that off his mind. And he got honest with himself and he got honest with the Lord. Yeah. God turned his whole life around. This woman had to be honest with herself. You've got to be honest with yourself. My biggest problem is not the guy beside me. It's the guy inside me. And we all want to look out at somebody else. And that's what she did. And she was looking at, looking at everybody else's issues. But the issue was with, within her heart. And God began to deal with her. The Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. A spiritually discerned. She took a drink. Amen. I'm glad that finally the light came on. The light came on. I remember when the light came on in my heart. Amen. I was witnessing to a lady. Miss Thompson, I think I may have mentioned this before. Hundred years old, hundred one years old. A man in my church had a loan business, and he asked me he had got to talk to her and got to know her, and he wanted me to come talk to her and witness to her. We went in the home, and I can still remember Miss Miss Thompson. Her daughter was there. She was up in her 60s or so, something like that. And uh, they talked, and it was all friendly and kind conversation and everything. And then they let me talk, and they. Uh, I said, Pastor, would you like to say something? I said, I said, yes. I said, Miss Thompson, I said, the Lord sure has blessed you. She said, yes. Her, her faculties were great. Her mind was sharp. Uh, she said, I said, he's been good to you, hadn't he, Miss Thompson? The Lord's been good. She says, yes, he has. I said, Miss Thompson, the Lord has blessed you with uh, many years of life, hadn't he? And she said, yes, I, yes, he sure has. And I said, Miss Thompson... I said, I know a hundred years is a long time to live, but not in light of eternity. I said, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And she says, no, I, I hope so. And I said, can I take my Bible and show you how you can know that you have eternal life? And I gave her some passages, and I turned over to Revelation. And I said, there's a whosoever there. I said, Miss Thompson, the Bible says whosoever was not found written in this book of life. And then I said, there's another whosoever. Yeah. I, and she had her Bible, her big print Bible, and she was reading it. I said, can you read to me what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13? As I, was, I got her to read all that passage. And when she got to verse 13, she, she was reading it, and she says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. She stopped. She looked up. And she says, that means me, don't it? I said, yes, Miss Thompson. That means you. And she trusted Christ. She bowed right there. You know what happened? The light came on. You know, it takes God. I can't save anybody. All I can do is try to get them to the well. Amen. And they're the ones that has to take a drink. Amen. Amen. And here's the thing I want to leave you with. I want you to see this witness. She turned into a witness. <laughs> amen. After the confrontation, she had to get face to face with the truth. After the communication, speaking to her heart, after the conviction re- revealing where the problem was, amen, in her own life. After the convicting and then after the convincing. I, I, we've got a young lady in my church, she'll be here uh, maybe this week sometime with David, my youth pastor. But Melanie was raised in a religious home. She was Catholic. She was raised in her Catholic home. Good parents. Good, clean, moral parents. She, she loved her parents. She respected her parents. She said the first time she came to our church, she fell under conviction. The first time she came, fell under conviction. And she kept coming back. She said, but she had to come to the place where she was convinced that everything her mom and dad had been telling her, was wrong. They had been telling her things that the Bible was different about. But one day she was convinced in her heart that the Bible was the Word of God and yes. this is the truth, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. Honestly, she called on the Lord and was gloriously saved. Amen. But this person, this lady, was convinced that she was converted. When she was converted, she took that drink. I'm telling you, she changed. She left different than when she came. Amen. She came with an empty pot. She left with the artesian well. She dropped her pail, jumped the rail. Amen. (laughs) Hit the trail and began to tell. Water was splashing everywhere. I mean, it was going everywhere. Come see a man. Come see it. She wanted to tell everybody she could. Aren't you glad glad God cares for the individual? But not only does he care for the individual, he can use one person. He can use just that one. Lillian, just one of those little children. Just one. Just one. Who knows how God could use one of those little children at school? By you leading them to that well. You think about David, just one young person, if just one of those young people would get a hold of a, get a drink, a good drink from that well, who knows how God, you men and women that are on the street corner, you never know that one person might get a good drink someday. Brother Ed, when you're out there preaching and pouring your heart out to a lost world, you might not think it's getting anywhere, but it might be somebody standing on the shadows, in the shadows, hearing the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You never know what that one individual. I guess I want you to I want to leave you with this one thing. The importance of one soul. Just one. Mothers? You mothers in here? You never know by you living a godly, wholesome, holy life in front of that child, no double standards, not coming to church, living one way and living a different way at home, living a life that's true with God, letting those children hear you pray and see you walk with God. You never know the impact that could have on one of your, just one of your children, how God could use that. Sunday school teachers Think about how that child you teach or that person you're teaching, how God, if they get a good drink from that well, how God could use you, this one, God used this woman to reach those Samaritans. I know he loved this woman, but he had we look at things through a straw. He saw the big picture. He wants to who knows how we could reach the world if we just zero in on the individual. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being here. And dear God, I ask you to bless your word, Lord. And Lord, may we have a greater thirst for your word. And may we, Lord, carry that word to others. And uh, Lord, focus on that one individual. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.